holiness and what that really means. So I would encourage you not to miss, uh, not to miss on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Uh, I will say this, Wednesday night's very important for us to be in the house of the Lord. Somebody say amen. And uh, these are times where we can hear a word from the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I was in church and God spoke to me something I needed to hear. I'm glad I didn't miss it. And you say, well, God can come back the next time because he's always there. Well, sure he is, absolutely. But that moment you've lost, you never get it back. That service will never repeat itself. I mean, know that every service is different. You never know when, when there's going to uh, be an utterance for you. And so uh, be in the house of the Lord. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is where I feel the best. This is where I feel the best. So we're talking about holiness. And uh, uh, last Sunday we talked about the purpose of that. And uh, that's very, very important. Uh, and we talked about a number of things uh, but we really finished up the first purpose of holiness or living godly. We talked about how broad of a subject holiness is, about how big that is. It's, it's much more than just the character of God that the angels uh, recognize. Uh, John writing about what's going on in heaven. He said the angels, the four and twenty elders are around the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. They recognize that attribute of God, not so much above all others, but it's the one that they herald uh, His holiness. But holiness is more than just an attribute of God. Holiness is something God calls us to. Somebody say amen. Uh, we also, in the matter of, of kind of going along, uh, let me just hit just a few highlights before we jump in today. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, which we know... If you want to break down 1st and 2nd Corinthians, I guess the best way to describe it is 1st Corinthians. Paul deals with all kind of crazy stuff going on in that Gentile church. And he makes a lot of corrections or at least admonishments to those people. And then in the second letter of Corinthians, it's almost a follow-up. Uh, you know, it's almost like the hug after the discipline. Hey, straighten up. I sure love you. You're special to me. So that's 1st and 2nd Corinthians in a nutshell. Well, 1st Corinthians 1 verse 2 says that you are sanctified. He said to those in Corinth, call to be saints. Sanctified, everybody say sanctified. That's made holy, washed. Everybody say washed. That, and he talks about the Lord washing them, cleansing them. You have been cleansed. You are sanctified. We read a few chapters later where they don't act like they're sanctified, but Paul declared them sanctified. Aren't you glad you're sanctified? Washed. Anybody glad you're washed? Cleansed. Chapter 1, verse 2, he said, you're cleansed. But then in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, he says, cleanse yourselves. Now, wait a minute. How can God's already cleansed me, and then he says, cleanse yourself. So there is something to be said uh, for people that are saved to keep their lives clean. Uh, I was fellowshipping with a pastor here uh, Thursday, I believe it was, and we were talking about justification. And, you know, one of the simplest uh, definitions for being justified uh, is just as if I'd justified, just as if I'd never sinned. That's what justified means. And he said that. I'm justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And I said, yep, and I want to stay just as if I'd never sinned. 
It's one thing for God to declare me, you are clean just as if you'd never sinned, but the power of that encounter makes me want to live just as if I'd never sinned. Somebody say amen. So we talked about the purpose of holiness and there were four and we got to one of them and everybody say to protect us. Say to protect us. Holiness is to protect us. We talked about what that means. Uh, We talked about us being without Christ, uh, our former lust. In fact, we read a couple of scriptures that identify our former desires, the works of the flesh they're called. And Paul in the book of Galatians mentions many of them that he says, if you do such things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it is okay for a church to preach against sin. Boy, that's a, that's a dying breed today, I know. But Paul said, these things are works of your flesh and if you do them, you will not inherit the kingdom. I don't care if there's people that tell you you're not saved by works and you can do anything you want. The Bible says you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh and be saved. Everybody okay? It's that simple. So, so let's, let's get that out of the way. That, that The biblical evidence is that you can't be justified and then live any way you want. Paul said if you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom. I want to inherit the kingdom. And then he, he, he contrasts that with the fruit of the Spirit. Works of the flesh are these, and he lists a long list and such the like. He doesn't even say that's the exhaustive list. He said this is just the start of the list. This will give you a good starting point. And then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit, and he lists love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and etc. He goes on. And so we understand it. But last week we ended here in Galatians 5.24 where after he says, here's what the flesh will do to you. Here's what the Spirit wants to do in you. And then in verse 24, right after the fruit of the Spirit, he said, but they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections with the affections and lust. Now that's a pretty bold statement. He said that everybody that is Jesus Christ's property has crucified their flesh. How many know that you're the Lord's property? How many know it's a continual battle to crucify your desires? (laughs) Oh, amen. But Paul said those that are Christ have crucified their flesh. So we need to live that way. Somebody say amen. We need to live that way, a crucified life. So we're, we're talking about holiness and then we went to the book of Jude and he, he, uh, Jude uh, likens those, he, he, he warns us of people that are in the church but are still taken by their flesh. So that is a possibility to say, well, I'm saved but I still kind of want to do what I want to do and he lists in Jude 12, verse 13, verse 16, verse 19, he lists uh, a description of these people, and we talked about that last week. Uh, our, we understand that our fleshly desires are our biggest issue and our biggest problem. But there are a couple of other things that really would challenge us, and one of them is in James chapter 4, verse 4. Let's look there real quick before we go forward. James 4, verse 4, and uh, then we'll begin uh, kind of the, with the next three purposes of holiness. James 4, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that, friend, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? 
Now that's not talking about people. That's talking about a culture or worldly culture or worldliness. We cannot be a friend to the world and also a child of God. If you're a child of God, it's going to put you at odds with this world. So the world is an enemy that we need to be careful of. Somebody say amen. And that's very important. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us another enemy. Now, we've already discussed the purpose of holiness being to protect us because it helps us to crucify our fleshly desires. But now we see another enemy, the world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And then there's a second enemy, 1 Peter 5 and 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? It's up there. Why should we be sober? Because you have an adversary. Who is your adversary? The devil. Everybody say your enemy is the devil. Now we can't blame everything on the devil because Paul has already said those that are Christ have crucified their flesh. Your biggest problem is not the devil and not the world. It is your flesh. The devil didn't make you do anything. He can't. You know, do you realize as, as pastor I have uh, dealings with individuals one-on-one, do you realize that there are people that tell me how the devil has caused them to do certain things and I've seen them in service and I know God's more powerful than the devil and God's never made them do anything. I wish God would make them like they claim the devil makes them. The devil made me do that. The devil made, Brother Gene, it was nothing more than the devil and that's what it was. Well, I wish that God would get a hold of you and make you do some things in this service today. But the fact of the matter is neither God nor the devil can make you do anything. If you're gonna worship, you're gonna worship God on your own. He's not gonna come down and grab your hands and say, lift your hands. He's already told you, lift holy hands without wrath and doubting. My response to God is obedience. Am I okay? Now, I will say this. Worship should not be something that's um, strained. You've seen people that, that it's almost like they, they, want, uh, they don't want to worship. That's not appropriate. That is not appropriate. It is not right for you to hold on to the chair, the plastic chair in front of you and you say, you come up after church, Brother Gene, (laughs) I tried hard not to do that. (laughs) Why? Why don't you just worship God freely? So in other words, we don't need to hold on until we get so full we explode and tear half this section up. You say, well, I feel something in me. I feel something on me. Excuse me, I'm gonna step out of here. I don't wanna step on your baby. I don't wanna fall on your grandma. I'm gonna get out of your way because I feel some worship coming on. (laughs) Old time Pentecost, you just kind of hold on until you explode and you throw all your bobby pins and there's nothing wrong with throwing your bobby pins if you have any. Everybody Okay. So, uh, the Lord has called us to worship. The Lord has called us to live a life of surrender to him. 
Our enemy is the devil and the world. They also want to pull us away from holiness, but our greatest enemy is ourselves. Fact of the matter is, the real enemy, and I know people that get real vehement about worldliness, and I, I don't want the world creeping in the church. I don't want the world creeping into my life. Everybody okay? Yeah. And, and we, we give a lot of credit to the devil for doing this and tearing up homes and, and tearing up your mind and making you think certain ways and making you say that to the lady at Walmart. Yeah, the devil does all. But the bottom line is your biggest enemy is yourself. And Paul said, if you can crucify your desires, you're the Lord's. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the devil didn't make me do it. No. Once we get our flesh under control, both the devil and the world will lose their power over us. Now listen to this. If we get our flesh under control, walk in holiness, the world and the, and the devil will lose their power. Look at this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fresh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may buy your good works, which they shall behold. I love these people that say there's nothing about works. Wait a minute, New Testament has that word all in it. Is everybody okay? Okay, somebody say works. Turn to your neighbor and tell them works is not a dirty word. The Bible has this word in it. So when you run across people that say, oh, you're Pentecost, you just, you just think it's all about works. You tell them, hey, the New Testament has works all in it. No, <laughs> that they may see, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold. Now look, everybody say, they, they'll see your good works. Okay, tell me now where, what God sees that man doesn't see. In the, in the anointing of, uh, of, of, of David, we find, or, or Saul, we find a very specific uh, mention. I think it was, yeah, it was David. I'm sorry, it was David. It, and it, the, the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on these men. God sees something you don't see. What is it that God sees that men doesn't see? It's the heart. What do men see? Men don't see the heart. They only see the outside. Right here, Peter said, abstain from fleshly lust so that people can see. They cannot see your heart. You can tell them all day how holy you are in your heart, but they can only see what you do. This is why holiness is not a bad, outdated idea. Peter said, you need to walk holy so that evildoers may behold your good works. Now look at the last part. And glorify God. Look at that. Glorify God. We, evildoers glorify God. I know you thought that evildoers would glorify God if we could just have a few empty wheelchairs around here. Oh boy. <laughs> the biscuits and gravy. We don't even have a problem with the devil of the world today. We, we need to add biscuits and gravy to that enemy list. 
Oh, think about it. We think the world will get impressed if we have a few blind eyes open. But Peter says, if you will live holy, the world, evildoers, will glorify God. Listen, they do not glorify God when you're trying to be like the world. They don't want you to be godly. Make no mistake about it. They're going to put pressure on you to accept all kind of things. Everybody okay? The purpose of holiness is not to isolate us. The purpose of holiness is to insulate us from spiritual threats that are in the world, to avoid traps, to avoid uh, pitfalls, and that's very, very important. Somebody say amen. I want to read a verse before I go to the next three purposes. We're still talking about the, that holiness is, is one of the purposes is to protect us. Hebrews 6 and, and verse 7. For the earth which drinketh in the in rain, we need rain. For the earth, we just don't want it tomorrow, do we? We're going to lose way too much money if it rains tomorrow. <laughs> okay, enough of that. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh, or for those of you listening to the podcast, you may think, what's he talking about? Tomorrow's the big eclipse. All right, enough of that. For the earth which drinketh in the rain and cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, uh, meat for them by which it is dressed. In other words, those that work it, it brings forth fruit for those that work it. Receiveth blessings from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. You don't take the thorns into your house and serve them for dinner. You burn them. You take the fruit into the house Okay, but beloved, we are persuaded better things and thing better things of you and things that accompany salvation. Now, wait a minute. He's talking about the earth bringing forth fruit for those that work it, those that dress it. And then he says, just like that, we are persuaded of better things. Your life is not meant for briars and thistles. Your heart, God is working on you. God is plowing on you. God is planting things in you, not for you to bring forth briars and thistles. That stuff is a waste. God expects better things of you. Look at the last sentence in this verse, verse nine. Things that accompany salvation. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me that saved is one thing and accompaniment is another. Something accompanies salvation. Now, if I was going to sing today, if you go back to old musical terms, they would call the piano player that would join me today, if I was going to sing, they would call the piano player accompaniment. That means they are accompanying the singer. They are adding to the song, right? So salvation is one thing. Yes, I've been justified. Yes, I've been cleansed. But there's something that comes with salvation. The word accompaniment means to go with. This doesn't mean equal to or the same as. It means to go with. There are some things that go with salvation. Amen. So when the Lord cleans me up, I want to stay clean. Now, in in Matthew chapter 7, I'm not going to read it. Jesus 
said, uh, he, he said he's going to make a, a way into everlasting life. And he said that the way is narrow. He said, oh, don't be mistaken. The broad path, there's a lot of people on the broad path, but it leads where? Where? Destruction. The narrow way, few there be that find it, it leads to everlasting life. Yeah. One way leads to destruction, the other to everlasting life. He said, he said though, not only is there a narrow way, but he also said there's a gate. There's a gate. Now let me ask you something. How long does it take you to walk through a gate? Depends on how fast you walk, huh? If you're running, you can get through a gate in about a second. Just if you're walking like me, it may take you a couple seconds. Get the gate open, you know, prop yourself up. <laughs> couple of seconds, right? How long does it take you to walk down a path? How long does it take you? Come on, there's an answer. How long does it take you to walk down a path? No, doesn't have anything to do with how fast you walk. Well, somewhat. How long the path is. <laughs> now, if the path's from here to there, it doesn't take but two or three seconds. How long it takes you on a path depends on one thing is the very important, how long the path is, and then the speed of the walker, obviously. But listen, folks, it takes you a few seconds to get through the gate. Salvation is the gate. If you repent today, he'll forgive you. And it doesn't take five years for him to forgive you. He'll forgive you right now. Right now, sitting in that chair, he'll forgive you right now. How long does it take you to get through the gate? Just a few seconds. But I want to tell you something. Once you get through the gate, it's going to take you a lifetime to walk down that path. Because some of you think you're at the end of the path. You're not at the end of the path. Some of you stopped. The path doesn't end until we hear him say, well done. So I'm still on the journey. So I'm still walking. I'm still wanting the Lord to make me more righteous, more sanctified. Somebody say amen. Lift up your hand and say, Lord, help me to understand that. Lord, help me to understand that. All right. Okay, here's where we're going to dive in for the next few minutes. The holiness is to protect us. Everybody say protect us. Second thing, holiness is to bless us. Everybody say bless us. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding giveth favor. Read the next part of this out loud. But the way of the transgressor is hard. I want to tell you something. You ought to be so glad you're in church today. I know living for the Lord, I know people that think, well, I didn't have any problems till I, till I came and, and gave my life to the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. The way of the transgressor, the Bible says that's a hard way. You know why it's that way? Because Jesus said the transgressor is like a man walking around in the dark. You ever done that? What happens when you walk around in the dark? You hit things. Now, I remember when I was a little boy, I used to sleepwalk a lot. And that's an odd little deal. Because you don't even know you're out of bed. And you're walking around the house. 
My, my family uh, talks about one night, I, I was just a young boy. They, they found me up walking around the house. The bedclothes were off the bed and over my head. And I was walking around the house turning on all the lights. Now how do you, first of all, you're asleep. You don't even know you're out of bed. Secondly, you got something over you, but you know exactly where all the furniture is and the light switches are. Some people have lived in the darkness so long they learn how to navigate through it. But I want to tell you, a man in the dark is eventually going to stumble over something. That's the danger of darkness is that, and that's why the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. There is a stumble coming that you're not aware of. You may say, well, I'm learning kind of how to put up with it and navigate, but I want to tell you, living in darkness is a hard life. John 11 verse nine, Jesus answered, are there not, are, are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he doesn't stumble. People that stumble usually are in the dark. If you're in the day, you do not stumble. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you're in the day, you do not stumble. Why? Because he seeth the light of this world. So this is another purpose of holiness in your life. Living a life that's pleasing to God. Those that walk in holiness will experience a better life. Not because they're better. Has nothing to do with them. It has to do with what they're walking in. They are walking in the light. <laughs> they will be able to see where they're going. They'll know how to navigate. They'll know what decisions to make. Somebody say amen. Life will have direction. Life all of a sudden have, has meaning. They will also be able to avoid pitfalls that other, what well, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know. I'm gonna, sin will cause you to stumble. Somebody say amen. So living for God and holiness and crucifying our flesh, we just talked about the protection that holiness brings. Not only is it to protect us, it is to bless us. Somebody say amen. We should not think of holiness as a way of improving our lives. Well, and, and this is interesting because I found a study that, that a doctor, and, and I, I, I'm not going to quote it verbatim because I, I, I need to source it and I can't remember all the sources, but a doctor did a study and he said churchgoers live longer lives on average. And he said, you know, I couldn't figure it out in the article. He says, but the best, the, you know, I guess the best description, he said churchgoers, <laughs> they, he said the best thing I could describe it as, they have a way of cleaning out their system. He said they're not bothered with congestion as much. They don't get pneumonia as much because they go to church, they sing, they worship, and they, by doing that, Hey, let me just say something to you parents. If you have a newborn, it's okay for that baby to cry. In fact, you'll help that baby if you let it cry. <laughs> I didn't say make it cry. But just let it cry. Oh, it's crying, so I'm going to go pick it up. Oh, <laughs> well, wait a minute. Uh-oh. Hey, 
want to say something else to you. We've all had kids. Turn, turn to your neighbor. Well, I think we all have. Most of us have. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I don't get nervous when a baby cries. Don't you get nervous. We've all heard babies cry. Everybody okay? So this doctor said, you know, it seems like they, in their respiratory life, it, church going is good for their system. <laughs> Boy, isn't that great? So every once in a while, you ought to just holler amen just because it's good for your health. Thank you, Sister Jean. We want to be healthy. Holiness is not a way of just improving your life, so we're not gonna stop doing the things. Well, I'm not gonna do this because you know, I, I don't want my life to be, you know, I wanna be healthy. No, holiness is not about being healthy, but pursuing holiness will eventually, you'll, under, you'll recognize that there are blessings that come when you live a holy life before the Lord. Somebody say amen. Think about this. A person pursuing holiness will eventually recognize and overcome his problem with anger. He'll say, you know what? It's not right for me to be eaten up with this kind of anger. What will that do? You know what it'll do? It'll improve his relationship with his wife. Amazingly, he didn't have to go to a class. He didn't have to go to a seminar. He just said, Lord, help me with my anger. And you know what it'll do? It'll help him with his kids. You know what a man will do? Listen, you, you don't have to go to a class for this, but you say, Lord, I want to be a good steward of what you've given me. And I think it's right for me to be on time for work. And I think it's right if they're paying me to give my employer, uh, not to cheat my employer. It's, it's holy for me to borrow the power from the power company for 30 days. And then when they send me the bill, it's right for me to pay it because I had my lights on and I took a hot shower. You see, holiness will make you better citizens. Holiness will make you a better employee. See, if you're eating up with envy and greed and cheat, you'll say, I ain't paying the power company for that. It's crazy they charge us for that. Well, go get your own power then. Go get you a generator, plug your entire house up, and every two days, go get you a bunch of gas and pour in it. Get your own power. It's okay if you don't like their power, go get your own power. Or go buy you some lamps. Boil some water for your bath. You drive that car, you know what? Your banker will say, now there's a good citizen. When you pay your car note, you pay your mortgage, Okay. Holiness will bless you, but it'll not only bless you, it'll bless your neighbor. Holiness will bless your neighbor. Joyce, I wish you'd get a hold of this right now. I'm teasing. <laughs> Holiness will bless your neighbors. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know if it's a testimony for your neighbor to say, oh, don't go out during the daylight because if they see you, I don't think it's okay if the neighbor said, oh, I'm, I, mowed, I, know, I mowed six inches into your yard. I'm sure, oh, don't go out for a while. He's going to be storming mad. That's not a testimony. Holiness makes you a better neighbor. Holiness will bless you. 
godly will bless you and it will bless other people. When God begins to improve your inner man, it's going to bless other things. It will bless your kids. It will bless your wife. It will bless your neighbors. It will bless your employer. All right, good deal. You got that, looks like. Purpose three, holiness is to protect us, to bless us. Everybody say the third one. Holiness is to empower us. Empower us. Empower us. How many would like to have the power? All right. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus sends out his disciples two by two. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Man, that's heavy stuff, isn't it? That's only, that's not even preacher stuff. That's special preacher stuff right there. That's only real anointed people get that kind of stuff. But you know what? He gave his disciples that kind of power. Every one of you. Listen, I'm talking to you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's talking to me. (laughs) Cast out devils. Oh, somebody got a devil? Call the pastor. Wait a minute. Every disciple was given the same power. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. Somebody say, I've got power. That's right. You know why? Because the last portion of that verse, freely you have received, what? Freely give. How many of you have the Holy Ghost in your life? How many know that is power in you? The disciples had received power, authority. Now they were expected to freely give to others. Freely give to others. Everybody say freely give. Now look at verse 11, same chapter. This is the Lord telling them, I'm giving you power to do this. You've been given freely, so go give freely. But verse 11, now he says, when you get in a city, whatsoever city, doesn't matter, he doesn't name cities. If you go to a city or a town, oh, thank God. Thank God he didn't say only go to cities. Thank God town's in there. Oh, well, anyway. Whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. Uh Uh-oh. Jesus said, I'm sending you out with power to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, etc., And then two verses later, he said, okay, when you get in that city, the first thing I want you to do with that power, first thing I want you to do is inquire in that city who is worthy. And when you find who is worthy, worthy, that's where I want you to go and abide. It's up there. So they didn't just go walking down the street and heal everybody. They had the power to. Everybody okay? Yeah. They had the power to heal the sick, right? But the Lord said, first thing, don't go heal anybody. First thing you do is go in that city and ask, who in this city is worthy? That's an interesting word. That's an interesting word. Everybody say worthy. Oh, I'm so unworthy. I'm useless. I'm no good. I'm nothing. I'm unworthy. Yeah, the Lord said, when you go into cities, find those that are worthy. The word worthy in the Greek is axios, axios, A-X-I-O-S. 
You may not have to be a scholar to kind of figure out the connection. Axios is real close. In fact, it's the root word for where our English word axle, axle, the thing under your truck carrying all the weight, the axle. God give us a bunch of axles in this church. Sometimes I wonder if we're not all tires. <laughs> Got a lot of road noise and every once in a while I'll go flat. God, give us some axles. Find those in that town. Before you start healing, find those that are axles. That word comes from the, that word axios comes from the Greek word which means to lead or carry. And Jesus said, go in a city and find the household that is an axle. <laughs> the center of leadership, uh, virtuous godliness in a community. Don't just go to some crack house. Go to a house that is worthy. Oh my. And he said, in fact, if you read on, he says, if they accept you, then you're gonna be blessed. If they don't, and you think, well, they said this was worthy, but evidently it's not. He said, dust your feet off. So we're not gonna get into all that. Everybody say a worthy house. The Lord said, find a worthy house. Say the Lord said to find a worthy house. The Lord said to find a worthy house. And then they were to see the power move. Listen, God wants his power associated with his attributes. He didn't say go down the crack house and start healing people. No, he said go to a worthy house. In fact, in Acts chapter two, I don't think it's a far stretch. After the Holy Ghost fell, it said they continued daily from house to house. I don't think it's a far stretch to say that's probably some of the houses they found in Matthew chapter 10. That the Lord said, before the Holy Ghost, if I say before the Holy Ghost, there were worthy houses. And the Lord said, before I want to show my power, I want you to find a worthy house. Listen, I want to tell you something. God wants to move in this church. Oh, well, I believe it. <laughs> and I believe it because there are people here that want to be an axle for God. They want to be strong for God. They're not into just playing church. <laughs> I want people to be healed in here, blessed in here, delivered in here, but it doesn't happen when we try to appease the world. It happens when we say, Lord, help me to be worthy. I want to be an axle in the church. 2 Peter 1, 21, and I'm just about done. Isn't this good? We're gonna have time to eat some more biscuits and gravy. 2 Peter 1, 21, look at this. God never wants what he is able to do to be disconnected from who he is. Did you get that? God, God's actions, he wants his actions to be connected with who he is. He's holy, isn't he? Yeah. He doesn't want his actions to propagate unholiness. Wow. That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. 
And I'm going to keep saying a mouthful just for a few seconds. Stay with me. He doesn't want what he's doing to prop up unholiness. He wants what he's doing to be connected with who he is. He's holy. So the Lord said, disciples, you got power to heal the sick, but the first thing you do is go find a worthy house. I want everybody in that city to know that I'm blessing those that are not just trying to slip by. I'm blessing those that are conscientious, that want to please God. A worthy house. Find first a worthy house. 1 Peter 1.21, look at this. Anybody glad you got a Bible? Hold up your phone and say, Lord, thank God for this. Hopefully your Bible's on there. <laughs> thank God for the word of God. Look at 2 Peter 1.21. You know how it came? You know how it came? Do you know how the word of God came? It did not come by a bunch of drunk guys getting together and saying, hey, let's write a book. No, holy men spake as they were moved. It's up there, I hope it is. Holy men, everybody shout holy men. It didn't come from a crack house. Oh, you're not hearing me. It didn't come from a, a prostitute's house. It came from holy men. And God said, oh, this is a worthy house. I tell you what, I got more where that came from. I want you to write. And those holy men were moved by the Spirit to write the Bible that you say is the word of God. It came from holy men. A worthy house. It came from an axle. That is sweet, isn't it? Yeah, I think so too. That's why I can't stop when I get going. It's just too sweet. Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Lynn said that's sweet. God spake through holy men. Try that on for people that say I got a word for you. No, no, we're vessels. We're subject to all kind of things, but this gives me more reason to crucify my fleshly desires because God wants to use holy men. Holiness will empower us. Today, God wants us to be axios, men and women, through which he can manifest his power to the world. I believe he wants to show this world who he is. And he does that in worthy houses. You say, well, boy, I've never heard that. Well, just, you can go to Exodus chapter 12 and trace it. You know what? When the blood was on the doorpost, come on, when the blood was on the doorpost, what did the Lord say? Get everybody in the house. Because that night, the death angel's gonna pass over. But everybody that's in that worthy house what made the house worthy? The blood. Oh, well, okay, that's sweet too, but let's, it's not too impressive. It may be sweet, but it's not impressive. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I want to be a worthy house. All right. Thank you, Lord. Matthew seven Let's talk about power Let's talk about God's demonstrations of power in people that are unworthy. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm going to address this for a minute. You see all kind of television evangelists, don't you? And they all describe powerful moves of God. Don't be, listen, don't be distracted. 
They can live any old way they want to live and get up and say, well, this person was healed and that person was healed. Somebody got out of a wheelchair and they're running around the, they're running around the stadium. And you go, ooh, well, they must be right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I just told you that God chose holy men and worthy houses. He said, I don't want my power to be connected with something that's not holy. So how does that happen? Well, let's go there. Many will say to me in that day, this is a perfect description. And it's Jesus saying it. Don't be confused. There will be people that prophesy, cast out devils in my name and do many wonderful works. But don't be confused. I will say to them, I never knew you. So listen, you know what that tells me, Joyce? That means that the miracle is not the important thing. Because this tells me the true church is gonna have miracles and some of those false fellas that don't care about God or his way, they're gonna have miracles too. The focus is not the miracle. His people are casting out devils and people Jesus doesn't even know are casting out devils. But he said, I don't know those people. So that tells me that the true power You know what, President Trump could walk in this room today and all of us know him. I can say all day long, I know the president. You're smart enough, I have to preach this other places, I don't need to preach this here because you know this. But you know what, if I sat down beside President Trump, he would say, do you know my name? And I'd say, oh, I know your name. And I'd say, do you know my name? Oh no, he doesn't know, he doesn't know me from anybody else. It's not about you saying I know Jesus. The point is, does Jesus know you? <laughs> yeah, Jesus didn't say they're gonna be, he said it, people are gonna say, I know the Lord, I cast out devil. He said, oh no, no, they may know me, but I don't know them. That's the difference, folks. So don't be discouraged. Don't, don't freak out when you see, you know, somebody get out of a wheelchair and run, say, thank God they got out of a wheelchair. But don't let that be the motivation for you to say, well, I guess I can live like they live because they've got power too. There's gonna be people in the last day that have great power, but they do not. They are not known by the Lord. I'm closing. Thank God it's five till. Holiness is not only to protect us, to bless us, to empower us. Last but not least, the purpose of holiness is to glorify God. Yeah. Why is it important that I be like him in holiness? Why is that important? To glorify God in all that I am, all that I say and all that I do. In fact, if you want to know why you're here, that's the reason you are here. The reason you are here is to be an arrow that points people to the one true and living God. That's why you're here. How do you do that? By the Lord just doing little secret things in your heart? 
You keep cussing your neighbors. Oh, but I'm a Christian in here. You can't see it. I'm a real good guy in here. I know I smoke crack and cuss my neighbors out on the outside, but God sees the heart. I'm real good in here. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus said, your purpose in life is to glorify Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you something. Is cussing your neighbor out glorifying the Lord? Absolutely not. And glorifying the Lord doesn't mean come down here and go, woo-hoo, I'm gonna take back what the devil stole from me. That's not glorifying God. Glorifying God is making him manifest in your life. Okay, let's look at it. My goodness, Matthew 5, verse 13. Check this out. This is sweet too, Lynn. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savor, what good is it? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Men do not light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick so that it can give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may what? See your good work. Oh, it's not about good works. Well, absolutely it is. Jesus is in my life. That means I'm the light. And he says, you're the light. Why? So that men will see your good works. What's the last phrase? And what? That's right. The Bible says men are supposed to look at you and glorify God. Oh my goodness. How huge is that? How big is that? That men are supposed to look at your life and say, Praise God. I'm talking about holiness. Now, the New Living Translation says you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It, may, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Wow. First Peter 2 and 11. I read it earlier. We're going to read it again. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh. In fact, that's the KJV. I've already read that. Let's go to the, the New Living Translation. Let me read it in that in the second time I've read it here. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Well, I don't go to church with them. I can tell them what I want. I can say what I want. I'll never see them again. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, the KJV says good works, and they will give glory and honor to God when he judges the world. Wow. Wow. I close with this illustration. 
Jesus is the source of all good things in our lives. Now, I cannot play baseball. I used to play a lot of softball. I could throw a baseball. I could probably take a few good swings. I may even connect. So I know how to field. I know how to throw. But to be a really good baseball player, I I probably can't do that. So let's say that I decide one day I want to I want to T-bow it. I want to be a pro baseball player. You know what I'm going to have to do? What am I going to have to do? Practice. Every day. A lot. Brother Andrew said a lot. Hours a day. I'm going to have to practice a lot, right? Everybody say that's a lot of work. I don't know if I want to play ball that bad. But let me tell you, what if there was another way What if there was another way? I want you to name for me one of the greatest baseball players that's ever played the game. Come on, shoot it out. Who? Ty Cobb. There's a good one. Anybody else? Babe Ruth. Anybody else? Hank Aaron. Anybody else? Pastor present. Huh? Willie Mays. Bob Gibson. All right. All those say I want to hit like Babe Ruth. I can swing all day, practice all day, work all day. Boy, one of these days I'm going to hit like Babe Ruth. I want to pitch like Bob Gibson. I can lift weights, drink protein shakes, and throw hundreds of balls a day. But listen, what if all that practicing, what if Bob Gibson could come and live in me? What if all his work and all his practice and all his effort could come inside of me in one moment and I now have the propensity to do what Bob Gibson did, not because I worked at it, but because now Bob Gibson lives in me. Isn't that amazing? Daniel, just think, if Steph Curry could come and live in you, how many three-pointers could you hit? Let me say something to you right now. Here's the point of what I just said. Jesus lives in me. No, I don't have to work at it. I don't have to try to be holy. I don't have to say, oh, stop thinking that way. Stop thinking, no. If I just let Jesus live in me. Oh, come on, give the Lord a good hand clap right now. Jesus lives in you. I can be what he says Now, because of that, I don't want to take advantage of it. I don't want to drag it through the mud because something good lives in me. And if I let him shine through me, men can see the way I live and glorify God. So people say, well, you're just trying to be saved by works. Oh, no, no, no. But a greater than Bob Gibson lives in me. Jesus lives in me. That's why I don't want to go down the street in my Speedos. I'm telling you right now, would I glorify God? Wouldn't I glorify God walking around the courthouse square with nothing on but a Speedo? In fact, Todd's saying, why'd you even go there? He's like shaking his head, who would go there? That's exactly what I'm saying. I would be a distraction. Look at that guy. They wouldn't see Jesus in any of that. 
No, they'd see me. But uh, maybe that's why we ought to be covered. Because we want people not to see us. I'm talking about holiness. My Lord, it's, it, I'm five minutes late. But turn to your neighbor and tell him Jesus lives in me. Turn to him and tell him Jesus lives in me. That's why I want to be holy. Come on, let's stand together. Just give the Lord praise. We're going to change into our next song.